Thank you for listening to the Prairie Oaks Pulpit Podcast. This is a recording of our Sunday morning sermons here at Prairie Oaks Baptist Church in Prairie Grove, Arkansas. Thank you for being a participant in this ministry through this media. And thank you to those who helped make it possible. Now may God bless you and keep you. And let's get to the message. So Merry Christmas. You know, we... Uh, we don't know exactly what time of year that Jesus was born. I know Brother Gene's theory is Passover, but that would mean half as many parties. And so Amen. about this time of year, I'm ready for one. It's been dark long enough. I'm ready for a party, ready for lights. Um, but no, that's uh, I think the important thing is that we marvel in what God done. That as he tells in, as Paul tells in Philippians through the Holy Spirit, that God the Son set aside the majesty and, and all the glory and, and what he deserved in order to come and endure what we deserve. Mm-hmm. To, to be one of us, you know? And... Uh, and not even the, the, the cushy part of us. I mean, he came 2,000 years ago when we didn't have electric lights and climate control homes. He uh, didn't even have a home. Most of, uh, most of the recorded parts of his life, we know that when he was born, uh, there was no room in the inn. And uh, born there in what sounds like a stable. Uh, no crib, but just a feed trough, you know, I, um, I marvel. And, and yet at the same time, there was all the rejoicing and, and shouting. And already people were coming uh, far away to worship and to give gifts. Uh, it took them a while to get there, but they made the trip, you know, and there's a, as the story is told us, you know, he was, he was born for us. He lived for us. He lived in our place, the perfect life that we don't do. And he suffered for us. He died for us. But he rose again for us. And one day he's coming again for us. I hope you're ready. And so... As we've been going through the, the Gospel of John, we're not looking at the, uh, the cave and the, and the swaddling clothes and the, and the little niche where his body was laid when he was born. We're in another cave with other linen cloths and the body there is lifeless as he suffered and died and was buried given an honorable burial uh, after being crucified between two thieves. And that's where we left off last week. So in God's poetry, a lot of similarities, but a lot of differences there. But we're thankful that a tomb is not where the story ends. And I, but I wanted to show you how the, the Apostle Paul, when he introduces himself, to the 
Romans, people he'd never met before, he links together Christmas and Easter and puts them together for us. So Romans chapter 1, I know, we'll get to John, don't worry. But Romans chapter 1, and it's the first... It's the first little bit there of Romans chapter 1, first four verses. And uh, yeah, he's got it up there. So if you would, out of respect for God's word, would you stand with me? Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Let's pause for prayer. Father, just thankful for the time together. I thank you, Lord, for oh, it's been good to be with your people this morning as we've celebrated your son's birth uh, that. He put on human flesh to live as one of us, to rescue us from our sins and and our enemies, O Lord. And I thank you, O God, for what we celebrate this season. But Lord, it was for a purpose to go towards the cross But in his laying down his life, that is not the end. It is only the beginning, the beginning of a new creation, O Lord. And so I pray, Father, that you guide my words and my thoughts to accurately teach your word this morning. I ask, Lord, that you work in the children's chapel. Do the same work there, Lord, that the lost would be saved, lives transformed, your name would be praised, and that, Lord, we would leave this place glorifying your Son, Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, Son of David, Son of God. And it's in His name and for His kingdom we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So I'm not going to spend long in Romans here, but I I did want to pair these things together here because, well, He does. And look at the season, right? But here we are that this is the gospel. And the gospel consists of three things here that he brings out just in these in this first sentence. And one is that the gospel is something that he promised beforehand there in in uh, in verse two. He promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And that's what we've been doing on Sunday nights is looking at the advent is seeing how God foretold from the very from almost the very beginning when Adam and Eve failed He promised in his words to the serpent that, oh, you just wait. The seed of the woman is going to crush your head and all you're going to do is bruise his heel. And so that set it up and and the enemy of our souls has known ever since that he feared what he did not understand. Somehow the seed of the woman is going to crush him. And we saw in the scriptures how that thread goes through the scriptures and how the prophets kept foretelling a little more and a little more. And we, uh, one of the highlights is in uh, the prophet Isaiah, who six, seven hundred years before the Messiah would come, said that, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and we shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. 
And that this, for unto us a son is given, for unto us a child is born, and he shall be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Everlasting God, the Everlasting Father, the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace. This is who is coming. And so the Apostle Paul, thinking on these things, he says, these are some of the promises through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. And we read that when we were looking at what the angels told, uh, the angel told Elizabeth and Mary and uh, Zacharias that they would, their, their sons would play a role in this. Zechariah and Elizabeth would be uh, the forerunner who would prepare the way for Mary's son, the seed of the woman, because he will be the anointed one. He's going to fulfill the promises. And this is it's exciting stuff. And that it would be a miracle because they knew at least this much biology as we know. Virgins don't just accidentally conceive and bear sons. Something miraculous has to happen. Conceived by the Holy Spirit. And that's what we, we celebrate here. Uh, so he is born but not just of any family, as God had foretold, the son of David, the Messiah would be a conquering hero greater than his ancestor David, according to the flesh. But verse 4 says that he was declared to be the son of God. Declared to be the son of God with power. What kind of power? Well, power that raises the dead. And he gave glimpses of some of that power when he would, when he would like show up and, and this young man had passed away. He was the only, only son of, of this poor widow and she had no one else to take care of her. And he just stops the, stops the, the, the casket and says, rise. And he just climbs right out of the casket. He's going to, can you imagine that little widow woman that day? Her only son raised from the dead. But it would be a, a temporary thing. He would continue to live a natural life and then die. Think about Lazarus. He wasn't just dead. He was what? Stinking dead. That's how dead he was. But Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. That the one who believes, though he dies, yet he lives. And those who believe in me never die. And so he Raises them. But again, Lazarus would just live longer than die. But what took place on the third day after that crucifixion, it changed everything because with power declared to be the Son of God, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. It was the stamp that proved all of the claims that Jesus made were true. Because, again, you know, virgin birth, that's pretty, that's pretty far out there. 
But the virgin birth is believable because he rose from the dead. The claim to be conceived by the Holy Spirit to be the son of God, that's a pretty bold claim. You better have some some evidence. All the evidence is superseded by he rose from the dead. Never to die again. That, in fact, he tells the Romans that we know we are justified by his death. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. We know we have the Holy Spirit and the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. By the resurrection from the dead. And so this is powerful news. So we celebrate Christmas, not just because, but because of the resurrection. Everything hinges on the resurrection. And what is amazing to me is I was reading again these stories and these these things in the, in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to be focused on John. John chapter 20. So if you want to flip over there, that's where we're headed. The thing that stands out to me is that, you know, when I think of how I would write a story, I would make it not quite so confusing. You know, everybody would be in their place and doing what they're supposed to do. And, and everything would just, you know, real nice and smooth. But the resurrection stories read like life. Oh my goodness, there's people running back and forth. And, and if you read all four gospel accounts, it's like, what? What is this? The Three Stooges? And it is, yeah, it kind of is because they're real human beings doing real human being things. Because those are the kind of people God works with, isn't it? Thank God, because otherwise he wouldn't work with me or you or any of the rest of us. And so it's fun. But we're just going to look at John chapter 20, and you'll get a picture of that even with just what we're looking at here. But it, if you want some homework for later, you know, check out Luke 24 or Matthew 28 and just read through all three of these and think, wow, God, this is amazing. You, you choose to work among sinners. You choose to work among the weak and to be witnesses, as we're going to see, to share that good news, right? The gospel that Jesus Christ has been born, that Jesus Christ has lived, Jesus Christ has died, and glory be to God and for our good, Jesus rose again. Glory. All right, so John chapter 20, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna read through and I'm gonna interrupt myself and just kind of explain because, well, I didn't wanna do that to you without having put it into context. So, John chapter 20, and I'm starting there in verse 1. It says, Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now I'm pausing here just to say, so first day of the week, that's why we're gathered here on Sunday. From this point on, we celebrate the beginning of the new creation, the resurrection, every first day of the week. It's not just two or three times a year. We do it every Sunday. Because why? The resurrection's that important. The first day of the week, Mary Magdalene. Now, Mary, we know that seven demons were cast out of her during Jesus's ministry. We have heard stories of ill repute and things like that, but the Bible does not tell us that. It just simply says he cast seven demons out of her. But she was a very 
faithful disciple of Jesus. And it is highly evidenced in the last 24 hours of his life. Because when everyone else fled, she stayed. And when he was on the cross, she was there. And when Joseph and Nicodemus claimed him and went to bury him, she was there. She watched to see where he would be laying. And the best that we can tell, the only reason everybody else knows where the tomb was was because Mary Magdalene paid attention. But Mary wasn't by herself. She had other women with her. And I used to, when I taught kids, I would challenge them. Not only do you need to know the 12 disciples, but you need to know some of these women because these women are very important, especially for their testimony of who Jesus is risen from the dead. And so the good news is it's really easy to know their names. Half of them are named Mary. So there is Mary Magdalene, out of whom seven demons were cast. There is Mary, the, the wife of Alphaeus, whose sons were James and Joseph. And pretty sure that one of those is a disciple, one of the 12, James the little guy, right? James the son of Alphaeus, James the less. So she was there. Then there's another mom who's there, and her name is not Mary, because her sister was already named Mary. Um, and that is Mary... That is not Mary. That is Mary's, the mother of Jesus's sister name, Salome, S-A-L-O-M-E, not the town just north of here. And so Salome, she had two boys by Zebedee, and you know them as James and John. Are you confused yet? We're still going. But we also get the picture that at least at the cross, if not later on, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. And so she is an important disciple of Jesus, even as the mother of Jesus. And then I'll just throw in a couple others just because it's fun. Uh, Joanna and Susanna, Luke specifically mentions them because they helped bankroll the disciples being able to live and follow Jesus. So even though he didn't have any, foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. When they had to spend money to eat something, Susanna, Joanna, Mary Magdalene, they were the ones that helped with that, as well as Salome, the wife of Zebedee. And so those are some, some women to kind of know. Because Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, they chose that the first witnesses would be them. Not someone named Peter, James, John, Andrew, and on. And so... Here they are. Here's these, here's these ladies. And so Mary Magdalene, she went to the tomb early, still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now, it's interesting because we're told they went to go anoint the body. They weren't expecting a resurrection. I'm not sure how they thought they were even going to get into the tomb unless they were going to ask guards to move it because you'll have to remember, Matthew tells us that there were guards guarding the tomb because they were afraid someone would steal the body. And so at some point they flee when the stone rolls away. So they're useless anyways. But the girls get there and they see that the stone has been rolled away. And she looks in, we're in between the lines here. She looks in and she says, the body's gone. And Mary, maybe a little excitable, she takes off, maybe tells the others to stay put. We're not sure what happens to the other girls that are with her. But she takes off to go tell the 11 now, not 12, 11 the body's gone. Fix it. 
Okay? So that's what happens in verse 2. So then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They've taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, which we assume this is John, the guy that wrote the gospel, and he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloth lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloth lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed." Now, I'm not sure what they believed, but they believed something different than what they were told had happened. Because they get in there and they see, here's the grave clothes. Now, you probably have not robbed a grave recently, and I hope you haven't. But if you were to do so, you would probably not want to unwrap the body, but you would want as much between you and the body as you could find if you're going to carry said body. So it doesn't make any sense that the grave had been robbed. Because there's cloth there. But what's weird, even more so, is that the cloth isn't like it's been thrown aside, but it's just the way it was put when it was still wrapped around the body. Except for the part that was around the, around the face, it seems to have been taken off and neatly folded and set down. So we know that there was no struggle. There was no um, chaos or hurry or anything. Because I don't know about you, but... I. Only fold stuff when I've got the time. And that's not always. So neatly folded and taken care of. You know his mama raised him right if he folded his napkin, right? And so folded his napkin and everything's nice and, nice and neat. But the other thing that tells us is that this is in a completely different category than Lazarus. I think that's one of the many, many reasons John wrote that part of his gospel. Is that he's pointing out that what happened to Lazarus is not what happened to Jesus. Because remember, Lazarus had to have help getting out of those grave clothes. He was just a resuscitated man. Stinking dead, but resuscitated. Jesus is resurrected. He came through those grave clothes, but physically, bodily alive. Glory. And if that happened, then we know that the stone was not rolled back so he could get out. The stone was rolled back so we could go in. So we would know that the tomb was empty. And so Peter and John, they see this and they're like, whoa, this is a big deal. I don't know about you, but I got to think about this. And so they go. Now, We're not sure what they did next, but we know one thing they did not do was tell Mary Magdalene what they had realized. Because apparently she was trying to keep up with them, and she gets there after they leave. And the poor girl, she's still upset. She's still thinking someone stole the body. And Peter and John, they're off, I don't know, doing whatever. They're not there. And so this is where we pick up with her part of the story again. So verse 10 says, Then the disciples went away again to their own homes, but Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And so again, remember, she she loved 
loves, loves Jesus. He is her hero. He is her Lord. She has been faithful to him throughout his earthly ministry, through his crucifixion, and now into his burial. And she's devastated that something has happened. And she still doesn't know what that thing is that has happened. And so I just want to pause for that because we got to give her some credit. She's, this is a, this is not just an overwrought woman. This is a woman who loved and faithful to Jesus and rightfully devastated. And so verse 12, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they've laid him. Now, when she'd said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there outside the tomb and did not know that it was Jesus, which makes sense. She's crying and and everyone kind of was expecting one thing, right? Because the last time they'd seen Jesus, it wasn't a very pretty picture at all. And it's not the person she's expecting to see anyways. And so she did not know that it was Jesus. Verse 15, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. And so seemingly this stranger wants to be helpful. Like, what's wrong? What? What can I help you find? You, you seem really, really distraught. And, uh, and she turns and she's like, just tell me what to do and I'll, I'll do whatever it takes. But I want Jesus. And I love verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. Mary. The sheep. He knows his sheep and he calls them by name. And they hear his voice and they follow him. He spoke her name. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. She knows. She knows her Jesus. She knows her Jesus. And he is alive. He is alive. And she just, oh. She's just all over him. This is her Jesus. She's never going to let anything happen to him ever again. You know that's how she was thinking, right? This is my Jesus. I'm never going to let go of you again. I don't want ever to be away from you ever again. Amen? You know, because again, another Mary, she was the one that's like, oh, Martha, you take care of stuff in the kitchen. I'm going to be here with Jesus. This is the same heart, same name, different Mary. And she's like, I'm never getting away from you ever again, Jesus. God bless her. I hope we have that kind of heart. Because it's so easy for us to get distracted and stray. And and all we like sheep have gone astray. And we we each have gone our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And that's why we need a shepherd. And he is the great shepherd of the sheep who will leave the 99 in the fold in order to go find the one that is lost. 
to go find the one that has strayed, to bring them back. That's how much he loves you. Glory. He doesn't give up on us. And so this this kind of devotion, this kind of, of love for Jesus. I told you, she's a good example for us. Verse 17, Jesus says to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended, ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. And this is kind of confusing. And I have to admit, I struggle with this one. But this is what I think is going on. And one is that I like that it translates the word cling. Because some of them will say touch. And that's a way understatement. This is she's hanging on for dear life kind of cling. But it's you don't have to cling to me. I'm not ascending Yet, I've not yet ascended. That's what I think is going on here. It's not that she couldn't touch him or it would mess things up. It was just simply that it's okay. We've got time. But I am leaving soon. And we know from reading a little farther into the story because of Luke, another 40 days. Another 40 days he's going to be with them. But he's got something better prepared for them and for us. He's got the Holy Spirit. He's coming to dwell in our hearts. I way undersell that, and I realize that. But this is a really big deal. But he says, you don't have to cling to me physically because I'm going to come move in. I've not yet ascended to my Father. But I love what happens next in that he says, but go to my brethren. If you've been reading through the Gospels and you really think about what Jesus calls them, he calls them a lot of things, most of them good. Sometimes, oh, ye of little faith. But, you know, they are his disciples. They're like servants, but they're his friends. But he's never called them this. Tell my brothers. Because something has changed. Matthew tells us the veil was torn from top to bottom, that the way into the Holy of Holies has been made available. And now the way Jesus taught us to pray has been given to us. We don't just say, oh God, but oh Father. Because we have been adopted into the family of God. We have been born again of a new nature. So you are doubly into the family now. And so now we have an elder brother who does not resent us coming from the pigsty back to the father. But we have the older brother who's gone to seek us and bring us to the father. Glory. Glory. He has brought us to the father. And he says, go tell my brothers, my brothers and sisters, tell she is the first missionary. She is the, the great missionary. Jesus has sent her. Go tell. Go tell my brethren that I have risen. 
and that I'm going to ascend to my father and your father, to my God and your God, just in case they were confused which father that he was talking about. Let's make sure we got it right, right? My God is your God. My God is your father because he's my father. We have, we have access. We have connection. You know, we have the privilege just come into the throne room of God and just come hang out. Play at his feet. Listen to what he says. Learn from him. Tell him all of our stories, as silly as they may sound. Because that's what he wants from his kids, from his sons and daughters. Go tell my brethren, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Can you imagine They're there, and suddenly here she comes back. The last time they'd seen her, she was distraught, hysterical. They've taken the body, and I don't know where he is. And then she comes back and says, he's alive. Glory. Jesus is alive. 